quick disclaimer for everyone listening. This episode will have copious amounts of spoilers from movies that are decades old. But that's no excuse. That's why we're telling you right now. We're really sorry, but we also really want to talk about these movies because they're fun. And we don't want to tiptoe around the fact that you might not have seen Nightmare on Elm Street. Shame on you. Also, just a quick warning that we talk a little bit about sexual assault and related trauma in this episode. Hello, welcome to the Lunatics Radio Hour. I'm Abby Branker. This is Alan Kudan. Hello. And today we are talking about the history of the Nightmare on Elm Street. It's actually called A Nightmare on Elm Street. If we want to get really technical. Is it really? Yeah. The, oh. I think so. I mean, we just were watching the sequel and on HBO Max it says The Nightmare on Elm Street or A Nightmare on Elm Street. Maybe one of them is the remake that they made. I have no, I have no idea. I've always just assumed it was just Nightmare on Elm Street. Let's look. We should start this off with the facts, right? With the, uh, this is this is Lunatics Radio Hour here with hard-hitting news. A Nightmare on Elm Street. Which is ridiculous because there's multiple nightmares. Throughout the film. Mm -hmm. Before we get into Freddy, should we talk about your air fryer? <laughs> uh, sure. What, what would you? Uh, yeah, I was wasn't expecting to talk about the air fryer. I just feel like it's been a big part of our lives the past few days, and we should share it. It, it you know, it really has. So, in my ever growing crusade to try to eat more vegetables. I purchased an air fryer. I just want to pause so that everyone has a sense of the, the baseline, which is that in January, Alan's New Year's resolution was to try to eat one vegetable at least a day. No, no. That's where we're starting. No, it says eat vegetables every day. Yeah, but you go days where you don't eat vegetables. That's not true. I have yet to do No, I'm saying not in January. Not, that's, that's why right. it this has... Is the, this but, is but the new I'm me. Saying that's why it has become a resolution, because you would not eat vegetables, uh, which is a ridiculous way to live. Well, we... we so anyway, you can go back to the air fryer story. I just wanted people to understand where where, where we are. So is that how we're, we're starting out? We're just narking on each other? Yeah. All right. Well, Abby... Nice. Makes a lot of responsible decisions. Really, Give me a second. really showed me. Yeah. Um, give me a minute. I mean, I don't really think Abby, I should just be sitting here waiting for you to say something Abby shitty about has me. not boomed a single feature film. Okay. Bam. Wow. I've been roasted. Okay, go ahead. Go on with your air fryer. So, got this air fryer. Mm -hmm. Been looking up a whole bunch of recipes. Usually, they the, the and it turns out that the simplest ones are best. Top three, in no particular order, roasted carrots, or air fried carrots, if you will. Yes air fried Brussels sprouts. And what I think was the ray of sunshine for me was the buffalo cauliflower. Yeah. Alan, for some reason, thought cauliflower was awful. And I guess he's never had it at a restaurant. I have. I've ordered at restaurants before and I did not enjoy it. It tastes to me like restaurant cauliflower. Well, maybe I, I, I mean, I've had it sparingly. Perhaps I mean, yeah, I it's great. One. It makes vegetables like roasted and crispy very fast. So we've we've had a lot of vegetables in it, which is good. It's delicious. And we've had a few, uh, like we did mozzarella sticks, which wasn't really worth it. No, it wasn't. They tasted the same. All this, I mean, it it just wasn't that great. 
Those were probably just the mozzarella sticks. That I we think got. I think it was. Yeah. Anyway, so that's been a fun thing. If anyone out there has air fryer ideas, let us know because it's been it's been a cool little quarantine project. It's true. So, do you or a loved one need to eat more vegetables? Get an air fryer. Get an air fryer. It's healthy. It's fast. It's efficient, and it's fun. It is fun. It dings. The one you have like dings at the end, like a fifties housewife. Yeah. No oven. complaints. Yeah, it's Let, cute. Let's you know when the job is done. <laughs> well, anyway, should we transition sharply into horror? Now? I, d- I didn't even want to start on the air fryer. I just feel like it's been taking up, I don't know, 60% of our time, and we should talk about it. I think it's an over generous estimation. Okay. 45 tops. All right. So, uh, one of the things that was really fun the other day was we were watching another movie for Horror Movie Club. Yeah. Uh, and we were just constantly air frying every vegetable we could find (laughs) yeah we were gonna like make dinner after and we ended up just eating so many vegetables during the movie that we didn't (laughs) and we saw some good movies in the process yeah we did those are fun movies if you want to hear about them check out horror movie club so horror movie club for those who may not know is the bonus episode part of this podcast and it's available through our patreon right because it's it's probably the best content we put out there (laughs) i mean we're still yeah it is fun because we get to watch a bunch of movies and we actually for next month for february we just got a bunch of cool suggestions from one of the patrons so do we really yeah we're gonna we're gonna have to come up with a time to like sit down and watch some weird shit but i'm excited yeah because usually i'm just picking like oh this looks fun yeah we end up watching like kind of weird combinations of movies but i think next month is gonna be I mean, I, a theme. I, I I love the weird combinations, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. It's just a good excuse to watch horror movies that we... It just feels like you're accomplishing something. Yeah. Horror movies with a purpose, you yeah. know? Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, time to talk about Freddy Krueger? Yeah. I guess so. Anything else you want to say first? No. I'm just... I'm, I'm excited. I This is about how... Nightmare on Elm Street was based on a true story. Is that what this is? Yeah. So, I mean, let's be honest with the listeners. This is a little bit of a lighter episode because we have some pretty heavy hitters to steal a term from the last podcast on left. We have like some longer term episodes we've been working on coming up in the next few weeks. So this one's kind of like a a lighter, more fun, less researchy episode. I mean, yeah. But so we're going to talk about um, the history behind A Nightmare on Elm Street, which includes... That it's based on this real thing, which we're going to talk about. Okay. Which seems wild. Yeah, it is wild. And okay. we're and it also we're going to talk about like the history of, of the film itself, right? Like the production and, and how it came to be. Because there's some really interesting stuff there. There's horror lore involved with the film itself? It's not. No, it's, it's literally like the story of the production. So just movie facts. Yeah, but it's interesting. Cool. Yeah, I, I got like swept up in some articles about it. And oh, I was fun. like, oh, there's a lot here, actually. It was a, you know, a labor of love, this film. I mean, it seems everything Wes Craven does is just kind of wild. Did you know that he died? I didn't know that until I was researching this. He died in 2015. Huh. I, I didn't know that, but I guess that doesn't surprise me. I just assume he's... He was pretty... It was like in his 80s. Yeah. Which I feel like is young. I mean, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, so... R.I.P. West Craven. Thank yeah. you for all the good times. You contributed quite a bit. Yeah, totally. Okay, so shall we jump in? Yeah. Is John Carpenter still around? I don't know. I hope so. He's good. He's good, yeah. Today's sources. Freddy Lives, an oral history of a nightmare on Elm Street by Craig Marks and Rob Tenenbaum on Vulture. Wikipedia. 
which actually has some really great information on this film. There's a bunch of YouTube videos I watched, interviews with Wes Craven and other uh, producers that were on the project, and a Cinema Blend article by Nick Venable. Okay, let's start with the basics. Okay. On November 9th, 1984, Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street opened in 165 theaters across the United States, which is a relatively small opening number of theaters. It seems like, well, was... I, I'm I'm very unfamiliar with Wes Craven's early career. This was his seventh film. Okay. But this was obviously one of, like, his first film was The Last House on the Left. So okay. that, that, was, that was his first film? Yes. Jeez. So it was a big film. Yeah. But And he also did Swamp Thing before this. <laughs> Swamp um, Thing. The Hills Have Eyes before this. The Hills Have Eyes? The original. Oh, I didn't realize it was a remake. And then came, and, and that's just to name a few. And so, yes, it was not his first film, but it was... Um, probably at the time his most popular film. Do you remember Swamp Thing? No. You don't? That was one of the first movies we watched together as a couple. I don't think that's true. It was easily in the top 1,000. Okay, so opening weekend. Yes. The film brought in just over $1.2 million. That's great. But globally, over its lifetime, yeah, $57 million. That's even better. And then including all of the sequels, $370 million. That's like almost half of an Avengers movie. <laughs> it was considered an instant commercial success. Quoting Wes Craven from the Vulture article, great horror films don't win Academy Awards. They make money. Huh. Actually, that's a good question. Is there a horror category for Academy Awards? No. A horror category? No. I don't know how Academy Awards work, for the record. You've never watched them? I don't really like them. It always seemed indulgent to me. Has anything you've worked on been nominated? Uh, for an well, what do you? What is an Academy Award? Is it like an Oscar, an Emmy, or it's all an Oscar? Oscar? No, definitively no. I've worked on Emmy nominated stuff, but that's it. Got it. Okay. Nightmare on Elm Street was written and directed by Wes Craven. It was his seventh film, like we said. Nightmare was produced by Robert Shea, who we're going to talk a bit about today. So remember that name. Robert Shea. Copy. And stars, I'm going to mess up on these names, but in stars Heather Lang Langenkamp, John Saxon, Ronnie Blakely, Robert Englund as Freddy Krueger, and of course, in his debut film launching his lucrative career, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame he never went anywhere. <laughs> it's a shame now he's like a piece of shit, right? I loved him as Legolas. Oh my God. <laughs> Alan is kidding. In addition to its interesting origin story that we will get into, this film also made a splash in the film world in more than one way. First, it is considered one of the most successful horror films of all time. Why? It went on to inspire six sequels, a TV series, a remake, a Friday the 13th crossover, and of course, so much merchandise and you know product. What's the TV series? I don't know. Hang on. I, I, I have to know this. Quick, right. quick Google break. Quick Google break. So I, I just Googled because I had to know what this TV series was. And it was called Freddy's Nightmare. It was from 1988 to 1990. What's Freddy's Nightmare? Uh, it was, well, this serial TV show. And I, I only read the synopsis of the first episode. But it followed the trial of Freddy Krueger for, like, the kid murders. Mm, interesting. I mean, I re I'm just imagining it's like an episode of Law and & Order, <laughs> and they're trying to defend Freddy Krueger. Yeah. 
when I when you said Freddy's nightmare, I was like, what would Freddy Krueger be afraid of? And it the would justice be... system, apparently. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But the movie also had a lasting impact on the horror industry. Nightmare on Elm Street is considered to have solidified the slasher subgenre. It used various mechanics and tropes that were first introduced by John Carpenter's Halloween in 1978. A few examples, sexually active teens are killed. That, th- th- this was first done in Halloween? These are tropes that are starting to emerge, right? Like, Got we look it. back now and we're like, oh, duh. Like, right. you know, that's what horror film is. Yep. These, like, campy, shitty films. But... Hey. I mean, you know, I don't think they're shitty, but you know what I mean. mean in everyone. But like in the 70s, these were some of the first films that were actually doing this. Yeah. So, you know, they really set the the stage for this. Like it helped bring this renewed energy to the monster horror villain. Uh Uh-huh. When you look at like the first monster movies, you know, like the universal monster films. Oh, those, yes. They're really monster movies. I wouldn't call them horror movies. And I think even at the time, they weren't horror. No. They were not. And so those are like the films, right, that these directors were watching growing up. Sure, yeah. And then you come to the 70s, and it's a totally different genre. And so like Carpenter and Wes Craven and these directors and writers were really the ones who were pioneering this thing. It didn't exist before. And so I don't think these films get enough credit for, uh, you know, what the world that they created and like the, the subgenre that they created, like, yes, the, it's a, it's a, a small section of horror monster, like all of these like things. But if we're talking about slasher films, like Halloween, Friday the 13th, a nightmare on Elm street, you know, it, it sort of was its own little thing. I'm just imagining how, you know, these teenagers, they fall asleep and what plagues their nightmare is Lon Chaney. Yeah. It's just not scary. No, it's not. It's really not. Okay. So at this point in my outline. Yes. It it says, Alan, do you want to sum up the plot for everybody? And then it says in parentheses, funny. So you got these teenagers, right? Yes. And all of a sudden, Johnny Depp is just chilling there. And (laughs) he's like a small character. And he falls asleep. And uh, he has these spooky dreams of getting fucked up by Freddy Krueger. And then this girl shows up and he has a baseball bat and and, a radio and is like, ah, you're you're getting killed by Freddy Cougar. And then he doesn't wake up and then he gets murdered. Yeah. And then no one believes uh, her that it wasn't that it was a supernatural guy that kills everybody. Mm -hmm. And so she has to go on this crusade to like try to convince the world that there's this guy killing people in dreams and they're like, that's fucking stupid. And, you know, she's like, yeah, I know. But uh, and by, by the end, she is vindicated. Well, she gets, like, locked in her house. Do you remember that part? Yeah, there's, like, the whole, like, the police stakeout across the street. Because her dad's a cop. Yeah. And Johnny Depp lives across the street. And then, you know, Johnny Depp's dead. But I'm saying that's where his house sorry, is. Sorry, spoilers. Yeah, eventually she has this, like, crazy... Oh, there's the thing where she, like, pulls the hat out of the dream. And she's like, oh, wow, if I can pull this guy's hat out, I can pull him out because, you know, dream dream mechanics. Mm-hmm. And so she pulls him out and then she's like, ah, now we're going to arrest you. But I just didn't know. But she needed cops for that and there were no cops. So that was a problem. Even though she told her dad, hey, you're a cop. 
I'm going to come out of this dream world at like midnight or whatever. Please be here. Please be here. And fucking dad is not there. No, he was not because he's too, he's too busy being a cop. Yeah. You know? He's too busy with the murder across the street and he yeah. couldn't show up to his daughter's dream plan. Right. So then eventually she's just like, I'll have to take things into my own hands. And she goes all home alone on him and just like swings paint cans and shit and hits Freddy a couple times and he gets really mad. <laughs> and then he falls down the stairs and gets really hurt. He does not like stairs. No matter what movie he's in, Freddy Krueger gets fucked up on stairs. Yeah. Um, and eventually there, she's about to finish him off uh, with multiple bank cans and baseball bats. And then um, he sees her mom and he's like, ah, I'm out. <laughs> and then just jumps onto the mom. And, like, pulls her through the bed into the dream world. And she's like, oh, bye, Mom. Didn't like you anyways. Mm-hmm. The end. Roll credits. Very good. Thank you for that beautiful and factual summary of the plot of the film. I really hope you edit it down to make it even less... Um, Sensical? <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. So before we get into the true events that inspired this crazy movie, let's talk about the movie itself. The making of it. All of the major studios passed on Craven's script for Nightmare on Elm Street. Why? Every single one. The feedback that he kept getting was that people don't want to see dreams in movies. That it's not interesting, that it's going to confuse people. That was literally, and he he had like the rejection letters from like Universal like framed Mm -hmm. on his wall. But that was the thing. They were like, the dream world is like too confusing. It's too ambitious. It's people aren't going to get it. It's not going to make sense. And that was literally the feedback that he was getting. Mm. So enter Bob Shea, a producer with new line cinema and a full bright scholar. Shea wanted to be a director, but no one would have him. So he got into film distribution. Mm. New line cinema started in his New York city apartment, a fifth floor walk up in the East village. And he said something like for the studio space, his like apartment, you know, in the other half of the unit or whatever, like for all of this, like his whole space was like $109 a month, something like that. It's pretty reasonable for the West Village. East Village. Oh, that's why. Sorry. Yeah. It originated as a company to distribute films to college campuses and went on to be the first to distribute John Waters and Werner Herzog. And of course, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Even Sean S. Cunningham, the director of Friday the 13th, warned Craven that audiences might not buy into the dream world of the script. But Craven and Shea pushed forward, getting funding mainly from a, and I'm quoting here, Yugoslavian guy who wanted his girlfriend to be in the movies. Hell yeah, we all need one of those. So most of the investors backed out during pre-production, resulting in a budget just over $1 million, which isn't bad at all. But again, this is Craven's seventh you know, film. So yeah, he's, he's an established, some super director. successful films previously. Right. Craven wanted something different for his Freddy Krueger. If you look at the main horror villains of the time, Michael Myers, Jason, even Leatherface, they all had masks, right? Mm. So here's a quote from Craven. I wanted my villain to have a mask, but be able to talk and taunt and threaten. So I thought of him being burned and scarred. Mm, cool. So there's an interesting Rob Zombie quote that is exactly what I was just talking about from the Vulture article Mm -hmm. that when they were young, when he and his he's kind of considering himself a peer of Craven here, right? Mm -hmm. That when they were young, the films were monster movies, not horror movies. Mm -hmm. That Carpenter and Craven transformed the genre from monster movies to horror films. Mm. Exactly sort of what I 
took credit for saying a few minutes ago. Well, I mean, this is getting a little off topic, but I'm just curious. Before There must have been horror films before this. It's interesting because I feel like 50s horror or this like middle ground is either very sci-fi oriented, like The Woman from Outer Space or whatever, or it's Alfred Hitchcock-y thriller, but it's not really this idea of a human or humanoid type monster killing people with a weapon in a very bloody and violent way. Yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, have have you seen? Well, yeah, we've seen some 50s horror. Right. So, it, but it's like, not, sorry. again, it's different. It's not like slasher, violent, like it's a different thing. It is. I just. It's almost sci-fi, you know? Yeah. There's got to be, I'm, I'm going to do some research. There has to be, I mean, it could have just been not genre defining, could have been ahead of its time. There has to have been horror, like actual horror films before late 70s. I mean, I'm sure. When's Black Christmas from? You know, we also, there's like the Stepford Wives. Like there's a ton of horror films. You know, I'm sure you could easily find a list that have dates. But I think what what Rob Zombie is really talking about is I think like the slasher film and how we define horror now. Oh, yeah. It changed the mainstream. Right. Like when you think about horror, these are the first films that come to your mind, right? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. On Twitter. In 2014, Craven revealed that Kruger's appearance was inspired by a man who had peered at him through his window one night, through his window one night. Mm. When he was a child, he saw an elderly man walking outside who stopped and looked into his window, which freaked him out. Craven wanted to make Freddy a child molester, but changed him to a child killer because he was afraid of backlash. At the time, there was a huge rise in child molestation cases in California. I mean, that would have really changed the tone. Yeah. have I mean, Freddy Krueger, maybe in some later films where it gets a little weird, but he doesn't really have sexual energy. Yeah. And I love, I love that. I love I mean, that. in the he, second film he does. Uh, he like kisses that girl. Well, that, okay, hang on. You, you, you want to do a deep dive at this moment. That, that's fine. Okay. That was an amalgamation between... The protagonist, Jesse, who was being possessed by Freddy Krueger. I know, but I'm just saying he has sexual energy. There was, yes, you're right. In the second film, there was, there was, there was sexual energy. But this wasn't, you know, as if two people who had no interest in each other, then Freddy shows up and suddenly it's, you know. Yeah, I get it. He's, he was kind of possessing that guy. He's all about the murder. Just imagine the how these two films made you feel. You have like Friday the 13th, right? Mm-hmm. Which is pure murderous slasher, just murder fest, right? Yeah. And then you have Last House on the Left, which is another murder fest, but mixed with a whole bunch of sexual assault. Yeah. As soon as you add that element, it just gets so uncomfortable. And movies yeah. like... Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. For me, they're just fun. Mm-hmm. You know, they're violent, but they're fun. Last House on the Left is not a fun movie. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. I mean, yeah, totally. I totally agree. 
I'm glad we're on the same page about this. <laughs> I hope we all are. I absolutely think that there's a place in movies for that kind of um, assault and trauma, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but silly, campy horror movies is not one of them. Anytime you add some kind of really unwanted, violent sexual energy to a film, it really takes me out of it personally as an audience member and because it suddenly just makes the film so much more serious and in a very dark tone. No, yeah, I think that's a good point because I think there are important films about these topics, right, that handle them in a really tasteful and meaningful way that is telling a message about the survivors in the situation and the trauma that they've experienced. It's a totally different thing to exploit that in a really graphic way where you're forcing an audience to experience something or not again you're not firsthand experiencing but watching this thing being experienced it's like exploitative and especially in a horror film to your point when people are mm-hmm. you're, you're going there for a certain type of experience it's not like again that's one of the reasons why rob zombie movies are not for me last house on the left is not for me and I, I agree with you. I think, you know, there are certain filmmakers who totally, you know, it's it's an important to tell stories about that, but they have to be respectful and they have to really honor the survivors. And in horror movies, it's really never about that. They just It's have, about glorifying the villains. I think they just have to come full circle. If you are showing some kind of sexual assault scene, there has to be a meaning behind it. Whereas in a slasher horror, you can have gratuitous violence simply for the sake of gratuitous violence. If you, yeah, if you do a scene of a sexual assault and it's just in there for the sake of it, like that's, that's, that's bad filmmaking and that's very distasteful in my opinion, at least. Yeah, totally. If it builds up the protagonist, you know, if that is uh, his or her uh, motivation, going forward at that point to then go on, you know, their vindictive rampage to vanquish evil. Sure. Maybe that can work. Well, I also think there's a difference in the way that these moments are represented. You can say, you can show something like this happening in a thousand different ways. And the way that it's shown in the last house on the left is a lot different you know what I'm saying? Like yes. you're in there, you're watching the whole fucking thing happen. It, it's very triggering. It's very upsetting. It's very uncomfortable. But there's also ways to allude to it or to show it in a much more condensed, palatable way. Again, none of it is palatable, but in a way where we as an audience will understand, okay, this thing happened. I understand her motivation. I understand her revenge story without sitting there for 17 minutes watching it happen in front of you. Sure. And a perfect example is that from Nightmare on Elm Street 2, mm-hmm. when, you know, you see uh, what starts as consensual sex, then the guy gets possessed by Freddy and his fucking big burned tongue comes out and starts going all over. Yeah. You know, I hated that. I mean, yeah, it's uncomfortable, but it's pretty funny, <laughs> you know, and it quickly devolves into, uh, you know, just supernatural parody. Because right. it gets absurd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's absolutely... If you're going to show something, make sure it's for the right reasons. Exactly, yeah. Like, again, I think horror films certainly have a place in helping to tell hard stories. 
but how are you showing it? How is it being handled? What is the audience going to feel about it? You know, all of that stuff is really important. Um, anyway, it, it, I mean, it's sexual assault is just like one of those very taboo things. Yeah. You know, if you're going to show it, there better be a good reason. It's, mm -hmm. it, it's, yeah, it's super taboo. It, it's like, it's like killing a dog, mm -hmm. you know, not to equate the two, but in the, the, what I mean is like in cinema, there's a rule. You just can't kill a dog on screen without a really, really good reason. Yeah. And certain movies, you know, that show the death of a beloved animal. John Wick. John Wick. <laughs> then he goes on. That motivates the character to then go on a huge dog avenging rampage. Right. So shout out to those filmmakers for doing it right. Okay, so back on track here, we got way off topic, but that was interesting. What led to the name Freddy Krueger? Any guesses? Yes. Okay. So Freddy seems like a very fun name, you know? Mm-hmm. Seems like you're a, you, the, the guy that would be very disarming, you know? Everyone, everyone loves a, a, a good Fred, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then Krueger... Is this a guess? What is this? It's a guess. Okay. Not the most household-friendly name, <laughs> uh -huh. but it makes me think of supermarkets. Sure. Okay. Well, all of that is wrong. Craven had been bullied as a child by a student named Fred Krueger, <laughs> <laughs> so he got his revenge. Oh, geez. Okay. It's actually, this bully clearly had a very lasting impact impact on craven because in the last house on the left the did Wes craven do that also that was his first film oh that maybe that wow the last house on the left the villain was named krug hmm. so he clearly right like wanted to just fuck up this guy's life craven copied the idea of the striped sweater that kruger wears from the dc comic character plastic man and the red and green colors he chose because he read in a Scientific American article that green, the combination of green and red are the most upsetting to the human retina. I always thought it was a Christmas sweater. <laughs> I mean, that's how it comes across. For I mean, sure. they make jokes in the later movies about a Christmas sweater wearing maniac. Yeah, because I'm sure that's what everybody assumed that it was. How dare they defile Plastic Man's memory like that? You don't though? even know who Plastic Man I is. I certainly do. Who is he? Plastic Man. Oh, boy. What do you mean, oh, boy? <laughs> go, go ahead. Plastic Man is a wonderful antihero. He started as a criminal. Okay? So he was some a small-time, two-bit, you know, thug. That would rob banks, what right? What does two-bit mean? Two-bit. That's all he's worth. Two bits. Okay. You know? Always lighthearted, always cracking jokes. But he eventually answered the call when real crisis showed up because he had... Is he made of plastic? He... You know, do you, you know Mr. Fantastic from Fantastic yeah. Four? Mm -hmm. You know how he stretches? Yeah. That's Plastic Man, but Plastic Man is the DC version. Okay. So same powers, very different personality eventually plastic man goes on to join the justice league because he is just such a stand-up guy mm -hmm. and you know he ends up being the role model for all these very small hero wannabes almost that you know they know that they can't 
they they know that they think that they can never stand up to the image of people like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, but Plastic Man shows them that they can contribute in all, you know, in their own way. He's a he's a very great guy. You really do know a lot about him off the top of your head. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. Well, happy to deliver. Okay. So actor Robert Englund, who plays Freddy Krueger, only auditioned because it was the only project that fit his schedule at the time. You've really never heard of Plastic Man? Plastic Man? No, I've never heard of Plastic Man. He's great. Uh, so uh, Robert Englund was, at the time, in the popular NBC miniseries, V. On his way into the audition, he licked his finger and dipped it into the ashtray of his car and like spread some ash around his, I think, under, under eye um, because he wanted to come in looking strange. Craven says that England wasn't as tall as he wanted, but he had nice baby fat in his face. Oh, <laughs> good thing they're going to cover it with prosthetics. Well, great point, Alan. It took four hours every day to apply the makeup and rubber prosthetics that made the final Freddy look. That estimate is actually less than I was expecting. Mm. It's also notable that England cut himself on the knife glove and every time the hero glove was used and the hero glove is the one that's actually sharp. Mm-hmm. All the other ones are dull, but when the, you actually see it cutting something in a scene, they have to use the hero glove mm. that every time the hero glove was used, somebody cut themselves every single time. Hmm. Craven was trying to draw on the primal fear of animal claws when he imagined the glove. He wanted something that wasn't the typical knife that slashers use. So he kind mm-hmm. of said to his, you know, design guy, this is what I have in mind. In some scenes, the glove actually emits sparks. This was achieved practically. Do you know how, Alan? Um, I'm going to guess either sparklers <laughs> uh-huh. or, oh, they probably used the, uh, the type of uh, powder used in model rockets. Nope. Car battery. They connected it to a car battery. They just made it arc? Mm-hmm. Are you serious? One million dollar budget. They connected it to a car so battery. So dangerous. So okay, hang on. They just ran a fuck ton of DC current through the glove. And so when he touched things, it arced. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's rock and roll, my friend. I, I would personally not put my hand in that glove. Well, that's why you're not a famous actor. <laughs> Even though Bob Shea was on board from the start, he and Craven clashed over an ending of the film. They shot three endings in order to test with different audiences. However, the test screenings didn't drive clear results. You know what they put? All three in the film. What? Yep. There's when he drives away. There's when the mom. All of those were supposed to be three different endings that they just kept in the film. Back to back to back. And I think Bob Shea's dad said to him, like, he watched one of the screenings and was like, this movie ending really fucking sucks. Like it's this ending is going to ruin the film. And they're like, we don't know what to do. Like we, we don't know. So that's why like the ending is kind of drawn out and weird because it's literally three endings back to back. Okay. Interesting. Fun fact. The words Elm street are never spoken during the movie. What? Why is it called Elm Nightmare on Elm I mean, it takes place on Elm street, but nobody oh. ever says Elm street. Okay. How many gallons? Of fake blood, do you think they used on set? Oh, geez. Um, this is going to be a huge number simply because of the one scene where the blood spews out of the bed. Mm-hmm. 500. Yes, 500 gallons. That's exactly right. I'm a really good blood gallon estimator. <laughs> the film 
The crew filmed for 32 days around the L.A. area. The high school scenes were filmed at John Marshall High School, which was a pretty popular spot for filming high school scenes. And you may recognize it from Pretty in Pink and Grease. Yeah, that's a that's a John Hughes movie. That's right. We've now come. To the story? To the story. The true story that inspired the film. Oh, that kind of story. There's no fiction story in this episode. Why can't we just do... Why, why don't you just quickly think of some... Why don't Fre- you, Alan? Freddy Krueger fan fiction. Why don't you? That would be helpful. Okay. So what could possibly be the true story that inspired a film like Nightmare on Elm Street? Before we dive in, there's actually a quote from Wes Craven that really sums things up. Okay. So I'm just going to be quoting for a paragraph here. I'd read an article in the LA Times about a family who had escaped the killing fields in Cambodia and managed to get to the U.S. Things were fine, and then suddenly the young son was having very disturbing nightmares. He told his parents that he was afraid if he slept that things chasing him would get him, so he tried to stay awake for days at a time. When he finally fell asleep, his parents thought the crisis was over. Then they heard screams in the middle of the night. By the time they got to him, he was dead. He died in the middle of a nightmare. Here was a youngster having a vision of a horror that everyone older was denying. That became the central line of Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. What Craven was referring to is a series of mysterious deaths that occurred in the 1970s. Men and adolescent boys who had fled to the United States from Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam escaping war and genocide, were reportedly dying after complaining of nightmares and being afraid to sleep. Many refused to sleep altogether for days at a time. Mm -hmm. In one case, a victim actually said, no, this isn't PTSD. This something is stalking me. Like, this is, like, I know why you think it's that. It's not that. Uh, Which, of course, it probably was PTSD, but... The shadow people. (laughs) He finally fell asleep, and so this guy who said, you know, something is stalking me, which is, I believe, the same person that Wes Craven was talking about. But to be honest, there was a lot of, there was, there's multiple cases of this. So this, this kid finally fell asleep and his family carried him to his bed, relieved that he was getting sleep. And later they heard him screaming and thrashing. And when he finally fell silent, he had died. The family then found hidden stashes of black coffee and piles of untaken sleeping pills that they thought he had been actually taking. So those impacted by this were between the ages of 19 and 57. It's since believed that most, if not all, of the victims were killed by sudden arrhythmic death syndrome or SADS. Just as it sounds, this is the sudden and unexpected death of adults and teens, very often during sleep. Reading a quote from Wikipedia here because I am not a doctor and it is very medically jargony. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to mess it up. Medical examiners have taken into account various factors such as nutrition, toxicology, heart disease, metabolism, and genetics. Although there is no real definite cause, extensive research showed that people 18 years or older were found to have suffered from hypertrophic cardiomyopathy a condition in which the heart muscle becomes oddly thickened without any obvious cause. This was the most commonly identified abnormality of sudden death in young adults. In the instances where people experience sudden death, it's most commonly found that they are suffering from coronary artery disease or any level of stress. So, end of quote. What we can very easily relate to this last point on stress is the PTSD that these men in the 70s would surely have had. Um, And scientists also point to Brugada syndrome. So this is genetic. 
It's when electrical activity in the heart is irregular. Hmm. It adds to the risk of abnormal heartbeats um, and sudden cardiac arrest. That is what Wes Craven read in an LA Times article that inspired the original script. So my my unpacking of this. Yes. It seems like there was a bunch of people, or uh, at least enough to have a pattern, of people that had escaped such horrific life events. Yes. They had witnessed such atrocities firsthand that when they were sleeping, they would dream. Uh, you know, it, it's, you, they couldn't escape their nightmares. You know, they're just reliving the horrific things that they'd witnessed before their eyes. Yep. Yeah. So this was in the States that they had immigrated. And they, because they couldn't, every time they fell asleep, they would just witness these things flashing before their eyes that they started avoiding sleep. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where they were so sleep deprived that they began to hallucinate, you know, we we, uh, we actually talked about the shadow people on a on a previous episode, um, which is a known phenomena of uh, extreme sleep deprivation. And with that, of course, is an insane sense of paranoia. Isn't it from amphetamine abuse? Right, which is which leans you, yes, but that in turn means that you are up for many days on end. Hmm. So they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, full disclaimer, I've never heard of this phenomena happening outside of amphetamine abuse. But also, like, normally people aren't staying up for, you know, four or five days straight uh, without the use of drugs. No, totally. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, certainly I don't think these people were abusing drugs in this instance but i do think it's a good example of a the fact that your brain like your brain can do wild things when it's under stress right Mm -hmm. and staying up for first of all being stressed about all of the things that you've lived through and second of all the stress of not sleeping Mm -hmm. for days at a time like yeah you know and and then that leading to some sort of irregular heart pattern or cardiac arrest that it's almost like the it's not the same thing at all. But like the trope of like stressed businessmen having heart attacks, you know, yeah, it's, like we know stress can fucking kill you. Yeah. I mean, our bodies did not evolve to put up with this bullshit. Right. Not even close. <laughs> we have a fight or flight mechanism that gets you out of danger of the lion chasing you. Yeah. You know, in modern society, nine times out of 10, it just misfires, Mm -hmm. which leads to crazy anxiety disorders, you know, panic attacks, all sorts of things that just absolutely cause (laughs) complete chaos in civilized society. Yeah. That we all have. We all have something, right? Mm. You're lying. If you don't think you do, everybody go to therapy. If you want therapy, click the link below. Yeah, I'll leave a therapist below for you. Actually, it really depends on your state, so I can't do that. But, you know, there's a lot of online resources. Your state of being? No, your state that you live in. Oh. (laughs) The therapists have to be, even though we're online, they still have to be licensed within the state that you are. Mm. Anyway. 
investigate. It's worth it. Yeah, it, it's very worth it. Okay, so we just, before we started recording, mm-hmm. we just watched Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Mm-hmm. There are, I believe, six or seven total. Yes. You said three is supposed to be one of the best. Yes, and I've never seen it. I've seen Nightmare on Elm Street 1. Yeah. We've just watched the second one together. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen one of the later ones. I have no idea which. And I've seen Freddy versus Jason. Sorry, let me rephrase. I've seen the cinematic masterpiece, Freddy versus Jason. Oh, you're a big fan? It, I mean... It actually, it's kind of recent, no? I feel like I saw it in the It's theater. from like 2008, 2007. Yeah, I saw it. This is all coming... It's all flooding back to me. I actually saw that before I saw either of the original movies. Mm-hmm. Like, I think my sister made me go see it at the movie theater. It's fun. It was. And then and then I that inspired me to watch um, some of the original movies. Hmm. I had never seen, like, Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. And dare I say, it's even better than its sister film, Alien vs. Predator. Actually, I think I did see... I think maybe Nightmare on Elm Street... Actually, I did watch it with a friend... Sorry, I just didn't want to misrepresent my horror history to everybody. Yeah, you can't disrespect friend. I watched like that. it when I was very young, actually. Shout that out just to came friend. Back to me. <laughs> Shout out to friend. Anyway, so yeah, so we haven't watched all of the movies, but the important one is the first one, and it sounds like the third is also worth checking out. So yeah, th- I I just did a bit of googling to be like which movies are worth it. We Num- should get Google to sponsor our Google breaks in these episodes. Y- yeah, please, um, pl- g- please google (laughs) please we would love some money yeah um number two is actually ranked as one of the worst oh okay i mean i didn't i mean i didn't think it was terrible it wasn't wasn't terrible it wasn't great the 13th number two is really bad yes um but then again i was expecting a lot more Mm -hmm. out of friday the 13th part two it just was a shitty under delivering film number two it was still fun it just didn't have the... Nightmare on Elm Street number two, you mean? What Freddy's Revenge? What I said, yes. No, I just wanted to make Yes, sure. exactly. Yeah. It just didn't have the magic and charm that the other films in the franchise have. Yeah. Um, regardless, number three, Wes Craven comes back to direct. No, Wes Craven directs all of them, I think. Mm-mm. Really? No. He oh. directed the first and the third. Oh, all right, all right. And the others are just cash grabs, mm-hmm. is my understanding. Well, yeah, because horror it doesn't win Academy Awards. It makes money. Unless it's the third one, which is a, supposed to be just as good as the first. Sorry, it's supposed to be just as good, if not better, than the original. But, you know, the original just has such historical significance mm-hmm. that, of course, it has to take the cake. Right. Yeah. I mean, the originals, yeah. They're always usually the best. Mm-hmm. If the original doesn't stick, there's not going to be a sequel, right? That's there, there, there's very few franchises where any sequel is better than the original. Yeah, totally. The the king of that would be Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Okay. I'll take your word for it. You haven't seen Terminator 2, Judgment Day? I think you made me watch that, and I haven't seen just Terminator. Did you watch the film, or did you fall asleep? Probably fell asleep. Who's to say? Should I cut? Should we cut and watch it right now? No, please don't. 
There's also apparently a really shitty remake from 2010. 2010, is that right? 2010. Again, if you if you've seen it, let us know. But the reviews out there are pretty disheartening. Quick question: What is Wes Craven's new nightmare? I just have that phrase in my head. I don't know. I know for the 30th anniversary, though, there was a bunch of press and interviews and that's where i got a lot of the research actually Mm. um so i don't know maybe it was some special they did talking about it got it but i don't know or maybe you're just having dreams of publicity stunts dangerous dreams wouldn't be the first time no well everyone thank you so much for joining us on this nightmare on elm street deep dive and it was a little bit of a funky different format but i I had fun it was almost like a horror movie club you know it was very much like horror movie club except we actually had things prepared research yeah this wasn't just start researching horror movie this wasn't just me just freaking going on a tangent i mean that's exactly what this was but (laughs) it was coupled with your well-documented research thank you thank you back up my ramblings yeah this was fun We have some really exciting episodes coming in the next few weeks, so keep your ears tuned for that. As always, you can follow us on Instagram at The Lunatics Project. You can support us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month to get access to Horror Movie Club, among many other awesome perks, among which also a permanent discount code for the merch store which is available via Teespring. We'll have the link below, but we have some really, really beautiful merch designed by Pilar Keperta of Jollyville Radio. So yeah, I think those are all the little pluggy things we have to say, but thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it, and we will see you next week with something very, very special. All right. Until then. Do you want to, should we end with the Freddy Krueger chant? No. Like one, two, Freddy's coming for you. You want to? Three, four. Okay, ready? Wait, let me look it up. Uh, no, we can just no, we'll free ball it. Don't worry about it. No. Put your phone down. Put no. your phone. Do it. We got this. One, One two, two Freddy's coming, coming for you. Three, four, lock shut your the door. Five, six, stay get, up Grab your late. crucifix. Grab your crucifix. Seven, Seven eight, eight, better stay up late. Nine, ten, ten never sleep, sleep again. again. All right. That was good. Yeah, bye. <laughs> thanks for listening if you'd like some bonus content consider supporting us on patreon to access our patron exclusive podcast horror movie club also head to lunaticsproject.com to check out our spooky merch and apparel you can find us at lunatics project on twitter and tiktok and the lunatics project on instagram and youtube where you'll find our short horror films, cemetery tours, and so much more. And please rate and review. A little feedback goes a long way to help us grow and get more content out there. Our cover art is by Pilar Kep, and musical bumpers are by Michaela Papa and Jordan Moser.